0: we're going through John. We're in John chapter 3. I have the wrong number up behind me. John chapter 3. Oh, we're doing something different. (laughs) John chapter 3 verses 1 to 21. If you remember last week, we had only three verses and, and it was a little different. Today, 21 verses to cover, but it won't seem as long as you might expect because it's a very good passage As we go through John, it's it's John 3, 1 to 21, not what was up behind me. The title of the message, The Content and Theology of the Most Popular Verse in the Bible. And it's a reminder, something we've already gone over. Jesus is more than a Savior. Just to brace you for what we're going to do, what we try to always do, is we're going to try to leave doctrines of man at the door, and just open up the Bible and see what God's Word says. I will tell you that it upsets people sometimes when we do that, because sometimes people are given doctrines of man and they don't know it. They just think this is the way everybody thinks. It's the way the churches I've gone to have always taught, so that's the way it is. So we upset people. But if you don't mind, if we can all just agree on this book, then we'll be good. Just go back to the Bible. Whatever you've been taught, whatever you already think, just agree on God's word and we'll be good. So we'll start with John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, if you just recall last week, there were many people that were believing in Jesus because of the signs he was doing. He was doing miracles and they were believing. And he didn't really care that much about their testimony because he he knew what was in man. They weren't ready for a Messiah that's going to come and change things and make it actually a little bit more difficult remember they were anticipating somebody that's going to make life easier they had felt oppressed the jews had become a byword they had been very poor and this is we're going to have a messiah who's going to come in and make life easier and that's not what he did in fact when he started preaching he started saying things like you've heard that it was said don't commit adultery but i say don't even think it things like that he made life harder they weren't ready But then here comes Nicodemus, a Pharisee. He's also a leader. He's a ruler of the Jews as well. And notice that he comes to Jesus at night. Now, a lot of people presume that he's doing this because he doesn't want other people to know that he's going to Jesus. Jesus has already got some people in the Pharisee group that don't like him, so he doesn't want to be seen as one associating with Jesus. So we make this assumption that Nicodemus is a very timid man, that he is uh, somebody who's just afraid of things. And he might have been. We don't really know. It could be that he worked long days, and this was the only time that he could get away to go see Jesus. Or maybe during the day, Jesus was so busy with so many of the followers, he couldn't interject himself, didn't want to interrupt. We don't really know. But what we do know is that not very much later, we see that Nicodemus is pretty brave. In fact, we see in later uh, Jesus is being, he's being criticized very harshly by the Pharisees. And Nicodemus speaks up and says, Hey, 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 uh, do we not give a person A fair chance to share their side of the story before we judge them? That wasn't a popular thing, but he stood up and he said that. And then later, if you'll recall, when Jesus sacrificed his own life so that we could be saved, if you'll remember, it was Joseph and Nicodemus that boldly took care of Jesus' body. So maybe he was tempted this At this point in time, but he certainly wasn't later. And I suspect, my personal opinion I'll share with you right now, that Jesus actually confronted him in our story today, and that helped him to not be so timid. And you'll see this. And I want you to notice that note. I left it up there. I left a few notes. We won't talk about all of them, but I left that. You see that little A up there? In your Bible, you might have a a note, or you might even have it worded differently. The Greek word that is there where you see Jesus here, it's it's not Jesus. It's him. But the problem is when we read it in English and we don't see how the things are connected with the grammar of the Greek, then we miss something. Because it would read, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came came to him. This man came to him. Which man came to him? Who? And so that's why it's spelled out this way. This man came to Jesus. Because in the Greek, it's pretty clear. Even though it doesn't say Jesus, the way it is written, it definitely points to Jesus. And he speaks to him respectfully. Rabbi, he says, teacher. That's kind of a respectful way to address someone. And especially since Nicodemus is one of these teachers. He is a ruler and he respectfully speaks to Jesus. And his question he, he's trying to make it sound like he believes he might be somebody pretty special. No one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. So he is becoming a believer. But remember, just before this, Jesus doesn't really care about man's testimony. But this one stands out. So God inspired John to write about it. We'll continue with verse 3, and we're going to enter a subject that... Is complicated, it's difficult, and it's hammered away in John. So we'll start with verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is a very powerful passage. I do want you to understand the word water. You'll see it underlined up behind me. The Greek word looks like this. You'll see it pop up behind me as well. And the way you say it, hudor. It doesn't look like that, but that's the way you say it. And the way it's literally translated is simply water. I say that on purpose, simply water, because there are other words for other types of water. Like there's a specific Greek word for amniotic fluid. John is the text that so far I've learned and speaking to multiple people and go to all different kinds of seminaries. I'm going to talk to you about a couple in a little bit. But over the years, I've learned that John is the book. If you take Koine Greek in seminary, the book that they're going to use for you to go through and translate is John, because John does such an excellent job out of the books in the New Testament. He follows the rules. He uses the correct words. He has a great vocabulary. So this particular author knew the word for amniotic fluid, but he didn't use that word. Because people read this and they say, oh, you see, (laughs) Jesus wasn't saying anything about baptism. Now, what you'll notice next week, if the Lord permits, we'll move into uh, another part of um, this context, and it involves baptism. Jesus is baptizing. We're going to read about that, and we're going to learn about that. John definitely covers baptism quite well. But as we read this, you don't see the word baptism, so a lot of people will presume, well, he's not talking about that. Well, he does right after this. But people say, well, it can't be talking about baptism. This is talking specifically about you have to be physically born. Even though he didn't use amniotic fluid as the word, like he would have, but he didn't, um, he had to be talking about that. So you have to be born of the water, meaning that you're born amniotic fluid, the woman's water breaks, and you're born like that, a natural birth, which would mean people like me, who is Caesarean, I might be doomed to hell forever, I, but even let's let's take it to even a more basic level does it make sense to anybody i mean if you step outside of christianity and have somebody who is an agnostic somebody who doesn't believe in a god doesn't really think much about the bible and you just have this discussion would would a reasonable leader in a religious movement this jesus would he say as a prerequisite to be saved would he say a requirement is, first of all, let me explain, you have to exist. Is that necessary? Isn't that, I mean, if that's necessary in a discussion about baptism, wouldn't it be necessary in just about anything else? Okay, if you're going to drive a truck for a living, first of all, you have to exist. Of course you do, because you can't drive it if you don't exist. If you're going to be saved, first of all, you have to exist Of course you do. Why are we talking about your soul? Your soul wouldn't exist. So it makes no sense that Jesus would say, well, first of all, you got to be born. Of course you do. It makes no sense that such a wise person would speak to another wise person and say, let's get this out of the way. First, you have to be born. He's not talking about natural birth as a prerequisite. But even if you say that, even if you accept it, if you look at these together, he says in verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, and by the way, truly, truly is amen. That's the same word. So let it be, so let it be. This is the way it is. The creator of the universe is telling us something very factual here. Unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he's talking about being born again, and he's saying it's the water and the spirit, You could read 1 John 5 and learn that they are tied together. The water, the blood, and the Spirit are all three tied together, and you're not supposed to separate such things. But we'll move on, and we'll go to John chapter 3, pick up with verse 6. We'll touch back on that verse in a little bit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So don't be surprised, he says. Now I want to give you this. Dr. P.T. Butler in the College Press textbook series Comments about this passage, and he says, The initial act of the new birth is completed at the time a person submits in faithful obedience to baptism in water for the remission of sins acts two thirty eight Of course, after having become babes in Christ, we must continue to feed on his word and grow spiritually 1 corinthians three one to two hebrews five eleven to 1 peter two two and there 's many more, but this is what he 's quoting. Baptism does not make a person eternally secure. So don't think that. Even though this passage and many others tell us that baptism is necessary for salvation, it doesn't tell us that baptism automatically makes you eternally secure. There's more to the Christian life than baptism. And I appreciate that he wrote this because there are a lot of independent Christian churches and churches of Christ and other churches that will give baptism its proper place in their doctrine in the sense that it, you need to do it. Jesus said to do it. Don't argue. So you need to do it. It's necessary. But then they, they make it like once you're baptized, you're good. We're done. No, that's the start of your journey with Jesus. Read Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and following. It's when you begin your new life. You're burying the old self, and the new comes up out of the water, symbolically. It's not the end. It's the beginning. But I appreciate Dr. P.T. Butler's words. Now, I met Dr. P.T. Butler at Ozark Christian College. You'll see the kind of the crest up behind me. That is my first undergraduate seminary. I'm very proud that I'm connected to it. I went there the years, I'll give them to you because I've got a story to tell you, from 1985 to 1989, and then went back in 1993. Now, I also want to tell you that one of our best professors that we ever had, according to a lot of people, his name's Gary Zustiak, I don't have it written up behind me. Dr. Gary Zustiak was a graduate of Boise Bible College, a college we support, one of our missions. So you should be proud because Ozark Christian College has a great reputation. But if one of our best professors we've ever had came from Boise, And that makes Boise also one that has a great reputation. Now, I want to give you this year, 1992. You'll see that come up. There you go. So in between those years where I went to Ozark and then I went back to Ozark, I found myself preaching. Didn't think that's what I was going to do, but that's what God called me to do. And I, although I had been taught the truth of God's Word about baptism, I had some unfortunate circumstances, and I told you some of the stories, so I'm not going to belabor all of that. We will, from time to time, you'll hear some repeated stories that put me where I am as far as theologically in my understanding of baptism. But I was very bothered that another preacher was very judgmental towards someone about baptism. And so I had made the decision that I didn't think you needed to be baptized to be a Christian. It was not necessary. That's something I decided on my own. And my grandmother talked to me. She was very upset, spoke to me with tears because her son, my uncle, had decided that baptism was not necessary for salvation. And he was telling everybody that. And it really bothered her. So she went to the elders in the church, and they told her Acts 2.38. Well, she had read Acts 2.38 over and over again. To him, he didn't want to hear it. He just argued about it. And he was a very loud person with a strong will, and he was hard to have any conversation with. So she was just troubled that she couldn't have a conversation with her son. She wanted more guidance. But here I was thinking, I wanted to be respectful to my grandmother, but I want to tell her, well, I agree with him. But I committed to her that I would study the Bible and see what it says, even though I already had thought I had done everything I needed to do, to know what it says. Well, I, I kind of was poising myself to do that when I was confronted by another preacher. I was telling him about the other preacher I was judgmental towards, and he I said to him, because he said, I think baptism is necessary. I said, well, I'll tell you what, you read the Bible from front to back and ask the question, is baptism necessary? And then tell me what you think. And he said, I will if you will. <laughs> Simultaneously, there was a preacher that was pulling people out of a Disciples of Christ Church. And he was, had a Bible study across the street and actually did this during church. Um, when they were done with their singing, a group of people would get up and walk out of the church, go across the street because they didn't like the preacher, and they would go over to visit with another preacher who would lead them in a Bible study and tell them things like baptism is not necessary for salvation. So as I'm preaching in a church, and I think it's not necessary. I'm now studying through, going through the, starting in Genesis, and I'm going through and asking questions about baptism, and I'm looking for answers, you know, like, is it in the flood? I didn't see much about baptism in the flood. But by the time I got to Numbers, and um, I I saw where Moses struck the rock twice, you know, he did it once, God told him to take Aaron's staff, strike the rock, speak speak to the rock, and water will come out. The second time the people grumbled, Moses was told, take Aaron's staff, speak to the rock, and water will pour forth. But what he did is he struck it twice. And God didn't tell him to strike it at all that time, but he struck it twice. And spoke to the rock, water poured out. And then God said to Moses, because you chose not to honor me, You will never enter the promised land. This is the man that was selected by God to lead the people into the promised land. But because he chose to change God's plan ever so slightly, didn't do it God's way, he would never enter the kingdom that was promised, uh, that was land that was flowing with milk and honey. Wow, that's powerful. And at that moment I realized I cannot, just because I have an opinion, I can't ignore all the passages that God talks about. You need to be baptized. And I hadn't made it back all the way through the Old Testament when this lady brought to my attention that there were people trying to convert her to believe that baptism's not necessary. And so here I was being won over by Scripture that it is. And I thought, I need to do something. My grandmother wants help. This lady wants help. And I was a preacher in a church and I didn't believe it was necessary, but now I do. So I chose to write something. And I wrote this pamphlet. I told you about it. I need to make them more readily available to you. They are in the men's notebooks. So if you if you don't know a man in the church that's got one of those notebooks, most of the men here do, just ask, and we can make copies for you. That's a large print version that's in the notebook, and I don't remember what version. But it was in 1992 that I had these printed because this is back when you we, as a church, didn't have a copier. We had one of those things that you, you roll it. <laughs> you remember those? And I just thought, ah, we need to do better quality. So I thought, I'll go to a printer. And they said, you must print 500. Oh, as a minimum. Okay, let's do 500. I don't know if I told you this part. But when they, I went to go proof, they showed me the proof. And all they showed me was every page except the cover, because that one wasn't ready yet. They hadn't set it up. So when I, I looked at everything, everything was good, and when it, it got, all 500 got printed, paid for them, picked them up, and as I picked them up, I was excited. So I dropped them off at that lady's house that was concerned. I dropped it off at other people's houses, and I didn't even look at them. And I got a phone call. Hey, you might want to take those and redo them. Why? Because baptism is misspelled right on the front. Oh my goodness. <laughs> The printer used a B instead of a P in baptism. There's a P in the middle of it. So I had to redo them, do another 500. And years later at the Kaimichi Men's Clinic, I learned that some people came up to me and said, oh, they saw my name type. You're, you're the Jeff Adams that wrote the, bab, the, the yellow baptism pamphlet. No, they're blue. Well, not at our church. They're yellow. And they were from Arizona or New Mexico. And I thought, what? And I, I didn't know, and I, eventually I figured out what was happening. I had a professor talk to me. He was the missions guy, and he also taught Acts to all incoming freshmen. And it was a full year that everybody had to go through of Acts. And he had taken my baptism pamphlet and made it part of their curriculum and tested them over it. And some of these guys were printing them in their churches and making stacks of them. And I thought, oh, I better go back and make sure I use proper grammar. And I, I, I didn't, I was never planning on even printing 500, much less more going all around. But there's been several printed editions since that time, and I need to get some here. Remind me, I don't mind being reminded because I forget things sometimes. But I wanted to tell you that history because um, it's significant that, oh, I also learned that it was in the staff lounge that there were stacks of them there that somebody made copies of, and apparently the professors, other professors, were using them as well. But what really matters is that people, I think, were drawn to it because it takes you back to Scripture. So when you ask the question, a lot of times people ask the question, you know, about baptism, you're saying it's necessary for salvation. People ask that because there are whole denominations that spend a lot of energy Teaching people, don't let anybody ever tell you that baptism is necessary for salvation. There are people that have been here in this church and left angry because I read this and say I believe it about baptism. There's people that have this in their head, and I'll bring it up again because not everybody gets it. People will say, what about Thief on the Cross? Huh. And then then they don't want to listen to anything after they say that. They think, oh, I settled that, but let's be reasonable. I'll tell you again, the thief on the cross, there was no death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus at the time, right? right? He was on the cross talking to the thief. See, there's. I think we would all agree, every denomination would agree, there is no salvation without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, right? Yes, every denomination, every brand of Christianity, no matter how liberal, there is no salvation without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So it really displays a very serious amount of ignorance to say, well, what about the thief on the cross? Well, there was no death, burial, and resurrection. There's no salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus if there has not been a death, burial, and resurrection. Anybody before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus would have to be saved another way than through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Moses, Abraham, Elijah, whoever. Hebrews tells us that In order for a will to be put into effect, there has to be a death. And he's specifically talking about Jesus had to die for God's will to be put into effect. So saying, what about the thief on the cross means you really don't understand the salvation that only comes by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The thief didn't have access to that just like no one else did until there was a death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And by the way, If the creator of the universe wants to make an exception, he can do that. But scripture tells us what we are supposed to preach, what we're supposed to teach, and warns us against false teachers. And it's amusing to me that those who are like, what about the thief on the cross? If you don't agree with my what about the thief on the cross question, then you're a false teacher. What about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? You can't be saved without that. A false teacher would say otherwise in any denomination. So let's not even go there. What about the thief on the cross? There was no access to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we don't know. There's so much we don't know. We don't know if he was baptized and he slipped away. We don't know. So don't don't, don't tell me an exception is a rule. You want to know the answer to the question, is baptism necessary for salvation? Well, let's just just look. Look at this slide up behind me. I think you'll find the answer right here on the next slide. Okay, we'll go ahead and highlight it. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I want to give you... I'm going to move on to the other passages because we're going to talk about baptism. As John talks about baptism, we'll talk about it some more. But we'll move on in our text. Nicodemus said to him, How can these these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And a lot of us read this and it goes over our head, and it's designed that way because Jesus is speaking to a teacher. The master teacher is teaching a teacher who is a ruler of the Pharisees. Now, if you don't know the background about the Pharisees, Pharisees, they were kind of like a, not really a political group, but they were definitely a, a kind of a sect. They were very different than the, than the Hellenistic Jews that had become uh, very, let's call it uh, loose with their beliefs and what they allowed but the Pharisees became very rigid. They had such weird rules. They even had this, okay, so you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. They had elaborated it to the point where, okay, you, you can't tie a knot unless, because that's work, unless you can do it with one hand. But women with certain types of garments, they could tie knots because that was necessary. So what they would do is the Pharisees figured out a way around their own rules. Like, well, okay, if you need to tie that over there, just use a woman's garment. It's not against the rules. It's kind of weird. Don't use a rope. Just use a woman's garment so you can tie those. Very, very strange. The Pharisees had made a whole bunch of rigid rules. And it sure does appear like this guy Nicodemus is drawn to Jesus, it makes me wonder, is he seeing through the hypocrisy of the group he's in? It sure looks like it, because he goes to Jesus and calls him teacher, and then says, how could you not be from God? It looks like this Nicodemus is someone, and it's funny, you say, say it this way today, he's someone that thinks outside the box. You know, the, simply the fact that we say Outside the box means we're not outside the box because so many people say it. That's inside the box now. But anyway, he's a guy that doesn't think like the typical Pharisee. His mind is open to Jesus. And he's approached him. So maybe you're that way. Maybe your mind is open to Jesus. Maybe you want to please him. Maybe you hear this... uh, Thief on the cross thing, I don't know how to sort that out in my mind. I've always thought this, but I, I don't know. Is your mind open? See what Scripture says, because what I say shouldn't really matter. I, my goal, I have, a, I have a critic, a critic that watches me operate as a chaplain within a prison. This critic watches me on a regular basis of a staff member. This person does not like Christians or anybody who has any belief in any faith whatsoever. So this person watches me like a hawk. And this person has recently made it clear to me that he likes the fact that when I'm teaching, that I try to get other people to read it for themselves. That I'm not telling people what you, the way you have to think about it, telling you, read it and believe what it says. I sure hope I get a chance to lead him to Christ because I think others would follow if that happens. But it sure seems like Nicodemus has an open mind. Now brace yourself because if you think that's you, if you think, I'm, I'm like that, I, I'm open to whatever Jesus is going to say to me, however he's going to try to convict me, I'm open. If I read it in here, And it's clear that I need to be doing it. I'm open. Well, be forewarned. Nicodemus seems to be thinking this way. Seems to be, to me, he seems brave even though he's going at night. He's asking Jesus, aren't you from God? And Jesus is explaining some things. and, And Nicodemus is asking legitimate questions. Well, how can this be? And Jesus is giving him some very straight answers and he takes it to the next level, and he's going to do that with you. If you have an open mind, you're ready to receive whatever he has, he's going to stretch you because you need to be stretched. I need to be stretched. Look what he does with Nicodemus. We'll go on to verse 13 and continue reading in our text. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, there's a lot of different directions we could go with this and questioning things like, well, what about Enoch and what about Elijah? Um, Do your homework on that, and you'll find the answers that you're looking for. What I'd like to focus on on this one is that he says, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's the truth. This is the precursor and the lead up to, and what he's doing, what Jesus is doing, is making Nicodemus' mind go back to all those things he's been teaching as a teacher of teachers. He's reminding him of Old Testament things. He's making him think and ask questions in his mind, just like you might be. And then he says, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And this leads us to the most popular verse in the Bible. It's the one you see people hold up, John 3.16 at the football games, baseball games, and John 3.16. So let's go ahead and read this text, and we'll read the verses that follow. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Well, there's a lot there. I want to give you, I, don't, I didn't put the Greek up here for you, the word monogenes, I think is better translated unique son, uh, because we're all sons and daughters of God, but there is a unique one. But he's definitely telling us that we need to believe. He's telling Nicodemus that he needs to believe. I want to remind you there's some clarity given to us in James chapter 2. I'll read to you verse 18, the second part. You could read all of James 2 and get some clarity. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Some translations say, by what I do. This is actually an NIV uh, on that particular translation there. So, in other words, if you're going to say you believe, prove it. You don't, you, saying you believe doesn't mean you believe. You say you believe with how you live. There's a lot of people that say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and all they're wanting to do is try to sneak in the back door of heaven by saying, I'm a Christian, but not live for Jesus. You can't do that. It's more than just believing or just saying that you're a Christian. Believing includes proving that you believe. That's the clarity that James provides. So don't forget, you have to demonstrate, you have to illustrate your belief. Okay, this is where Jesus... In my opinion, he brings Nicodemus into being more bold. John chapter 3, we'll pick up with verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I don't know if you noticed what we just did, but we just read through with commentary in between 21 verses. And in this final section, you have have a mention of light and dark. I don't think it's a coincidence that it starts off with John being inspired to say, and by the way, that's where we learn all about Nicodemus is in John. John is inspired to write that, that Nicodemus came in the dark at night. And then he ends this little section saying that it's those that are wicked that like the dark they don't want to be in the light because then people see their wickedness wickedness of people they like to hide it they want to close the door and not let people see what they actually are doing you know the vocabulary that they use when they're not in church The things they get on on their computer that they wouldn't dare broadcast up here on the stage in church. They wouldn't dare show people the books or the magazines that they read. But say, "I I am a Christian. They wouldn't dare invite their Christian friends to watch a movie that they watch listen to some of the music, wouldn't talk like that in front of their Christian friends because they like to be in the dark and Jesus is bringing it out. Hey, hey, do this in the light. Wickedness is going to be brought into the light, but they don't like it. He's trying to pull Nicodemus in, and apparently it works. You want the truth, step into the light. We don't have to do this in the dark of the night. You don't have to act like you have to save your reputation as a teacher and a ruler among the Pharisees. And and just a couple chapters later... We get to witness Nicodemus doing exactly that when he defends Jesus. Don't we get to let him have his say? Amongst his peers who don't like it. So I don't think it's a coincidence. It seems to me that Nicodemus cracks open the door a little bit and starts asking some sincere questions and gives the appearance to Jesus right after Jesus says he doesn't really care about the testimony of man because he knows what's in man. He knows us inside and out. So right after this, then Nicodemus comes up to him like, are are you not from God? How could you not be? He's cracking open that door. And then he engages Jesus in a conversation and he gives the appearance that I I want what you have for me, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm trying to learn. Just like we, oftentimes, I want to be that way. I want to be one who accepts what Jesus is trying to teach me, as uncomfortable as as it may get. And then Jesus takes it to one more level. He confronts Nicodemus about the fact that he came to him at night. That's what it looks like to me. And he's going to do that to you. He's going to. If you want to say that, yeah, I'm open to the word of God. I would love to learn whatever he's got for me. I will follow it and I will do it. If it says it, that's the way it's going to be. Well, then he's going to have some things for you and you're going to have to make some changes just like Nicodemus. He loves us that much. He's not going to let us stay wrong. Jesus will pull you closer to him if you give the indication that that's where you want to be. He's going to do it, and it might be uncomfortable. He might just shine some light on some darkness in your life. Let's review. Number one, God sent Jesus, our Lord and Savior, to people to save them, not to condemn them. That's important. You don't want to just read John 3, 16, read 17 too. Jesus did not come to condemn but to save. Sometimes we give the wrong impression. Sometimes as a church we we come across as if we want to judge everybody and into hell. That's not why Jesus came. He came to save people from hell. Number two. Biblical baptism is necessary for salvation, but does not in and of itself bring eternal security. Number three, biblical belief must be illustrated or demonstrated. That's why I gave you part of James 2, verse 18, the second part of it. Read all of James 2 and you'll see it's all over there. Number four, we must make Jesus number one that's Lord, in our lives in order for him to be our Savior. You don't get to have the Savior without the Lord. If you're not willing to live for him because he died for you, you don't get the Savior. Jesus has to be Savior and Lord. Jesus is more than a Savior. He's Lord. You can bow down to him now or be forced later. But you don't get the Savior without the Lord. He has to be number one. Read Matthew 10 if you haven't already. He has to be first in all things. Read Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll take care of the rest if you're stressed. And number five in our review, if you want to know Jesus more intimately, prepare to be confronted. He loves you enough to do that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word that that does pull us closer to you, that challenges us, makes us ask more questions, and then makes us deal with the reality of what we're doing in our personal lives. God, thank you for loving us so much to send your son to die for us so that the world could be saved if we would choose to believe and prove it. Thank you for being so gracious with us because we could never do it on our own. None of us could ever be good enough. But you, your grace is big enough. Your sacrifice was final. And we do come to you humbly and with much appreciation for that. God, thank you for loving us enough to confront us where we need to be confronted in those dark and secret things that we struggle with. You you just shine a light right on it and make it clear we still got work to do. God, help us as your people. Help us represent Christianity well so that when other people see us living it out, they're drawn to it, drawn to you, Lord. God we thank you for allowing us to meet together as a group of believers as odd as it is this Sunday morning without our musicians and without our other singers doing things a little bit differently and with all the our own our own way this morning thank you for allowing us to do it this way and thank you for allowing us to meet together and open up your word I thank you for those that are here that have open minds to your word. I ask that you will use times like this, even the remaining time that we have here together, to pull us closer to you. Lord, I I know you can do that even in the middle of this prayer. Some of of us here inevitably are going through some struggles, and we need to be pulled closer. We We need that assurance that you can hold us up when we feel like we can't hold ourselves up. And God, we need that confrontation too, because it makes us better and more pleasing to you. So God, I ask that you continue to bless the remainder of the final parts of this service this morning and the lives of the people that are here that truly do want to serve you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen.